All right, who knows what we're talking about uh, here at City Church, man? We've kind of been in this season where we've been uh, sharing a series of messages. Anybody remember what we're talking about? Stretch, stretch, stretch. We believe that one of the instructions God has given us in this season is stretch. Stretch beyond our capacity, beyond our ability. Reach beyond uh, what we're able to do in our own ability, our own strength, and our own power. Oliver Wendell Holmes said it this way, a mind once stretched by an idea will never return to its original dimensions. We believe that for you, that something we say this morning will cause you to stretch beyond the limitations that life and maybe even you have placed on yourself. Zig Ziglar said it this way, every child is born to win, but along the way, many are conditioned to lose. Now, you talk to a child and they dream of being astronauts and presidents and the sky's the limit. In their minds, they see absolutely no limitations. But along the way, life has a way of conditioning us to believe for less than God created us to accomplish. And so we believe in this series, God is renewing this vision and this dream of stretching beyond life's limitations. Amen. Uh, We are working through an acrostic for the word stretch. Uh, Number one, we said, uh, in your season of famine or in your season of stretching, number one, listen for what God will, listen for what God will say. And God will often give you an illogical instruction. It will require a tremendous amount of faith. Uh, He will tell you to build an ark before he sends the rain. And in building the ark, it may take you 40 years. But the voice of the Lord always says, build. Number two, we said God will tell you uh, to be selective about the voices you. Yeah, because there are many voices in the world that will try to take you away from the illogical instruction. And sometimes they're well-meaning. But because the instruction didn't come to them, they don't always understand why God would tell you to do something that makes absolutely no sense. So in a season of famine, in a season of stretching, a lot of times life gets lonelier. And we think that God is isolating us, but he's actually insulating us because he's keeping us from the voices that will pull us away from the illogical instruction. So in your season of stretching, in your season of famine, be selective about the voices You trust. Jim Rohn said that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. It's a big, big deal. Uh, In fact, I said it the other day. I said, not everyone in your circle is in your corner. So in your season of stretching, be very selective about the voices you choose to trust. Uh, The R was uh, guard your daily routine. Abraham Lincoln said it this way. I will study. I will prepare, my time will come. And what most of us do in our famine is sit and do nothing and think that God will do it all. Yet I have discovered that in the kingdom of God, in God's economy, there is a man side and a God side to every miracle. We have to do our part. He blesses the work, the effort, the exercise of our hands. So guard your daily routine because success doesn't happen in a day, it happens daily. And so the secret to your success, the secret to my success can be discovered or determined by what I do daily. Are y'all with me? The E, we started last week and we got halfway through. And that is manage your expectations. Come on, somebody. We had a wonderful time last week. It, It was absolutely 
phenomenal. If you weren't here last week, make sure you download our mobile app. Make sure you download our mobile app, and all of our sermons are there typically about 48 to 72 hours after our Sunday morning worship experience. You've got to, you've got to listen to that message. Because last week, what we dealt with as it relates to expectations is the unhealthy response to unmet expectations. Uh, I, I think if we've lived for any amount of time, you have been disappointed with something in someone because an expectation that you had was not met. Uh, what we said last week was uh, uh, the gap that exists, the deficit that exists between what you expected and what you experienced determines the level of your exasperation. The frustration that you feel right now is a direct result of the difference between what you expected from someone and what you actually experienced from them. So we're learning how to manage our expectations during our dry seasons. What we said last week was uh, 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 assumptions often become expectations. Well, I thought. And often what we think is what we begin to expect. And how many of you realize that many expectations go unmet because they are unrealistic and they've never be, been discussed. So we make assumptions about things that become expectations and those expectations become entitlements. I deserve this. And those entitlements become demands. And when those demands go unmet, we end up disappointed. But it all started with an assumption that we made. It started with our inner script. We told ourselves stories that weren't even true. And now we're holding people to things that were never discussed, that were never agreed upon, never agreed to. And we walk away in our season of famine disappointed because of assumptions that we made. And we looked at the life of Naaman and how Naaman had a toxic, unhealthy response to unmet expectations. Uh, to, today we're going to flip the script, though, because that's not where we want to live. We want, don't want to respond to life and disappointments in a toxic fashion. We want to discover what the healthy response to unmet expectations is, and we discover it here in the text as we look to Luke chapter 16. Are y'all with me? Uh, it is not God's will for any of us to wallow in disappointment. He wants each of us to move past he wants each of us to move past the things that we expected but didn't experience. And Jesus gives us the blueprint for what our response should be in those moments and those seasons of life when our expectations go unmet. Now, let me just say this. There are some expectations that go unmet because they're unrealistic. But there are also some expectations that go unmet. 
that are realistic. I resent, maybe that's too strong a word. I resist this idea that in order to avoid disappointment, you should lower your expectations. I resent it. It's almost like Pastor Ray. And y'all know back in the day, y'all know, know Pastor Ray kept it above the rim. Y'all know Pastor Ray had mad hops. Y'all seen, seen the footage, man. Y'all seen the footage? Do I need to put the picture back up there? It's almost like, like you know, you, you know, for those of you who are ballers like Pastor Ray with the killer. I keep my crossover out here like Iverson. Yo, 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 yo. There's some ballers that keep it tight like Tim Hardaway. You remember Tim Hardaway? Uh-huh. I keep my crossover out here like Iverson. <laughs> Pastor Jesse, lowering your expectations so that you will not dis be disappointed is like lowering a basketball goal from 10 feet to 8 feet and then dunking backwards and beating on your chest and celebrating like you did something. And that's what most of us do in life. Instead of keeping the standard where it's supposed to be, we lower the standard to accommodate everybody else's mediocrity. And we settle. And we cut corners. But if the standard is 10 feet, don't lower your standards to 8 feet to accommodate Everybody else's mediocrity. I see it on social media everywhere. I hear preachers say it. In fact, I had a meeting with two of my mentors. And I was telling them about my message from last week. Oh, Rick, lower your expectations and you won't be disappointed. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. I don't lower the goal to eight feet just so more people can dunk. And we have learned to settle in life and learn to settle in marriage and learn to settle in the marketplace. And anybody who challenges that, the eight-foot way of living and say, no, 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 there's a higher standard, we resent it. Mm. But learning to play on a 10-foot goal is a realistic expectation. Be wary of people who force you to lower the expectation just to accommodate them. Okay. I'm not talking about an unrealistic expectation. If the standard is 10 feet, I'm not saying raise it to 11. I'm saying let's play at a 10-foot level. But don't get mad at me because I don't want to lower the level to eight feet. Are y'all with me? So where do expectations come from? Talk about it last week, right? 
We talked about what the expectation is, and it bears repeating. It bears repeating because each of us, we said all of us, have our own unique family marinade. Your marinade and my marinade is anything in my life that I have normalized. And how many of you realize what's normal for you may be abnormal for everybody else? And we said that everybody's family marinade, regardless of where you've been, where you come from, consists of four primary ingredients. Your marinade, my marinade. The things that I have normalized in life are the direct result of four key ingredients. Number one, my environment. The environment into which I was born and the environment in which I was raised. I was born in Liberia, West Africa. Lived in Africa until I was 21 before I came to America. My wife, Wendy, was born in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Was raised in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And we grew up in two very different environments. Now, the thing about your environment, your environment determines what you are exposed to. Wendy was exposed to things that were very different from what I was exposed to. What Wendy normalized in her upbringing in Ypsilanti, Michigan, is very different than what was normalized in my upbringing in Liberia, West Africa. So your environment will determine your exposure, what you're exposed to. What you are exposed to will determine your experiences. And ultimately, your experiences will determine your expectations of life, good or bad. Everybody sitting in this room is sitting in some marinade that is a direct result of those four ingredients. Because what we expect of life and what we expect of others is the direct result of our experiences, which is a result of what we are exposed to, which is a result of our environment. So let's talk about expectations for a second. Again, last week we talked about Naaman's unhealthy response to unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. This week, we're going to look at Jesus' healthy response. His healthy response to an unmet expectation that was reasonable. I'm talking about how to respond when what you're asking of someone is reasonable and they come up short. I'm not talking about asking someone to do something that is unreasonable. I want you to hear this now. I'm talking about the 10-foot goal. Not 11 feet, not 10 and a half, the 10-foot goal. So here we go. Let's look to the text, Luke chapter number 17. <laughs> Beginning at verse number 11. Also, we have notes available in you version. If you follow along, uh, uh, we encourage you to, to look. Uh, our, the notes are there. You can add your own notes there on you version, uh, and you can follow along there. Uh, Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 11. It says, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men. I love this. I love the way it reads, who were lepers. Y'all see that? He met 10 men 
who were lepers. He met 10 men who were lepers. One of the things that I've discovered about God is that he always sees our personhood before he sees our problem. The scripture doesn't say that he saw 10 lepers. It says he saw 10 men who had some issues. He saw 10 men who had been ostracized and marginalized. He saw 10 men who had a condition. And I wonder if our expectations would change and become more realistic if we first saw people as people and didn't define them by their flaws, by their idiosyncrasies, by their shortcomings. Are y'all with me? I hope y'all see that though. That when Jesus looks at you, the first thing he sees is your personhood and not your leprosy, which we all have. Well, let me just make that crystal clear. Everybody sitting in this room, whether you got on true religion or wranglers, Come on, somebody. Everybody. Got some leprosy. And notice what the scripture says. Because of their leprosy, they stood afar off. Levitical law forbid them from mixing and mingling with people because of their condition. The Jesus I serve never calls us by our shame. Calls you by your name. Hmm? If there's anything we can begin to learn from this story, is the fact that Jesus sees us as human first, and then he deals with our issues. I wonder how many marriages would be healthier and happier if we just saw each other first and foremost as human. And when I say as human, I mean this, that all have sinned and have come short, fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, let's just start there. Now you got your stuff and I got my stuff. And this is what most of us do now when we start looking at each other's leprosy. We judge others by their faults, and we judge ourselves by our intentions. And we have a double standard when the truth is we're all human. We're all human. I'm going somewhere with this. I just got to take my time for a little bit and talk to City Church. Hmm? Hmm. Okay. Let me, let me, let me not linger. Because I could. Uh, verse 13 says, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Ah, verse 14 says, so when he saw them, the scripture, the text reemphasizes the fact that he saw them, not their disease, not their leprosy, not their dis-ease, not their condition, not their shortcoming, but he saw them. 
<sighs> I think if we would learn how to look at people beyond their problem, man, we would be so much more compassionate. So much more compassionate. One of the decisions Wendy and I made early on with City Church is that people matter to God. Therefore, people would matter to us. Regardless of their estate in life, regardless of their shortcomings and imperfections, people matter to God. Therefore, people matter to us. I encourage you, just next time you go to work, next time you see your neighbor, See someone who bears in them the mark of God, created in his image and after his likeness, not just their flaws. Okay, I'm going somewhere with this. I promise you, I promise you. Uh, verse uh, 14, it says, so when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was, I love this, as they went, they were healed. Come on, somebody. Sometimes the miracle is simply in the obedience. Jesus didn't touch them. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. Something, again, that was an illogical instruction. Because you couldn't show yourself to the priest unless you had already been healed. Jesus says, trust me. Even before you are free from your leprosy, go show yourselves to the priest. And in your obedience, as you go, I will heal you. Now notice what the scripture says, that they were healed as they went. <laughs> Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. How many of them returned? How many were healed? You know the title of today's message? Today's message is titled, Where Are the Nine? Because here's the deal, y'all. Here's the deal, City Church. We're okay sometimes in our thinking to say, yeah, yeah, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. We believe that, that he was both God and man. And it's okay when we look to the text and see the divinity of God, of Jesus manifest. But what we often skip over is his humanity. If Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, there's evidence throughout all of scripture where Jesus shows us his humanity. And this is what we're about to see now in Luke chapter 17. Are y'all ready? Here we go. So one returns and notice Jesus' response. <laughs> In verse 16, it says that this one who returned fell down on his face uh, at the feet of Jesus and he began to give him thanks. Notice what the scripture says, and he was a Samaritan. I wish I had time to talk about the distinction between the Samaritan and the Jew. I know with all my heart that sometimes those who love much are those who have been forgiven much. You see, the Samaritan who returned was not only a leper in his physical body, but he was a half-breed. He was considered half Israelite and then half Assyrian. And the Samaritans were considered less than. The Jews didn't mix 
with Samaritans. And this man comes back to Jesus with gratitude. Number one, because Jesus healed his leprosy, but Jesus loved him even though he was a Samaritan. 